In today's episode, we start off by discussing what makes a good person in our Tavern Talk segment. Our main discussion is about Joss Whedon's Firefly and the subsequent movie Serenity, and we preview the subject of our next episode, Queens, live at Wembley Stadium from 1986. Hello? And welcome to the Culture Quest. Hello. <laughs> we are but humble adventurers, and today we all want to be cowboys and astronauts and have adventures with guns and cool slang and stuff. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Hello. <laughs> and I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. So, let me ask you a couple of questions, uh, just, you know, out of curiosity. Sure. First, Peter, um, you've been reading Harry Potter for a while now. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm through book one, and I'm probably ninety percent through book two. So, um, I don't know what they call Harry Potter fans, Potterheads. Sure. <laughs> oh, I I'm just making it up, but it sounds right. Um, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Potterhead. Uh, I'm already like so into it now. I like I've already bought like a a floating wand pen for work when we get out of this quarantine. <laughs> organizing like a like a ma- movie marathon when I get through all seven books. I'm going to be having like cauldron drinks and like all these magical jelly bean things and going to have like a Diagon Alley shop. Oh, it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. <laughs> that sounds really good. I'm really holding myself from saying anything about the books and the movies because I want you to have, you know, like your own experience of it. Yeah, yeah. It was, Um, I'm really having a good time with it actually. Like I'm, um, sort of got all the imaginary characters and all the all the rooms and all the buildings and stuff in my head so it's going to be weird when I watch the movies because obviously you know people are going to look different to what you thought and stuff like that so like yeah they sort of give you a decent description of all the characters but then I heard like a few years ago um apparently like Hermione 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 very difficult it's Laviosar not Laviosar <laughs> she's got like light brown hair and stuff in the in the books and stuff but then apparently i i thought she was this pale girl but then apparently like jk rowling was just like no nah, she's black you're like she's she's african-american sort of i'm like what like what <laughs> i think that really was just, yeah i huh. think she was just trying to be like super woke or something but i don't think anyone believes that but whatever yeah. Like, just trying to, like, shoehorn some diversity or something into it. But, like, yeah, apparently wizards don't exist, so. <laughs> I, I have to say, I'm really happy that you're having fun with it because I never knew how it... What, what, what kind of an experience it would be for someone who didn't read the books as a kid? Yeah, you know? it's a bit of an experiment, isn't it? Like, because um, I, I really haven't watched or read anything. I know Harry, I know Ron. Don't really know this Hermione girl, but... Um, uh, and like you don't know anyone else, so and I know the the villain who plays Hans Gruber is in the movies, but I don't know who he plays. So Alan, uh, Alan Rickman? Rickman, Alan Rickman, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna say anything. Because I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, but um, uh, like, I don't want to put it in your head. Absolutely amazing writing as well. So I don't listen to um or read much fiction, but like really good. My my um my dad's actually. Um, reading another book by Robert Galbraith, I think it is, which is also a J.K. Rowling um, pseudonym. So, so, um, mm. so obviously it's it's good for like children, good for adult children like me, and good for adult adults. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cool. Um, another thing I wanted to ask, Barra, did you let your mom listen to the um, uh, Mom's Classics episode? I wanted to kind of hear what she has to say about it. No, not yet, not yet. Mm, okay. If you do intend to do that, I'll be waiting for an update. Yeah, sure. Cool. Okay, so we're going to be talking about Joss Whedon's Firefly and Serenity today. Um, but before we have our main discussion, we always enjoy a bit of Terran talk. In today's Terran talk, we want to talk about what makes a person good. This is based on a, an Ask Reddit post that Barrios come upon recently by user GaySpaceAngel. So, what do you guys think makes a person good? Um, Barry, do you want to start? Yeah, well, I, it's a hard question. It's a big question, yeah. Yeah, like it's hard to even start. I mean, like, what is good? Uh, um, is something good because it's not bad? Or goodness exists as something of itself? Like, um, if I don't do any harm, does that immediately say that I'm good? Or do I have to be active in order to be good. There's another question about the locality of your acts. Like, I guess mainly when we're talking about good or bad, we're talking about actions because, well, you either do or don't do anything because I guess it's not enough to be good only in your thoughts. You have to take it to the real world because if the question is about a person, then person is part of a society, I guess, or part of its environment. And then like the way to judge a person is according to his acts. I don't know, for, from my perspective, that's that's kind of where, where it starts. My personal opinion is that you just need to be compassionate about your local environment. I think that that's will probably what make you what will make you a good a good person. Like hmm. no, you don't have to understand the whole complexity of it because it's impossible. You know, um, like m my father is vegetarian and I keep getting into his, these arguments with him because you can be vegan and you can be a vegetarian. The thing with it is that I keep asking him, why are you just a vegetarian and not, and not vegan? And when you're a vegan, why do you say that only animals with this and that complexity are in the scope of, uh, I don't want to make you suffer. Uh, so there are some vegans that also don't uh, eat honey because it's, uh, you know, you exploit bees for it. And like mm -hmm. this, it's it's kind of a, a slippery slope where, where you kind of say, well, why just bugs? Why not plants? And if plants, why not all bacteria? And and yeah. that's kind of like my, my feeling is when you try to be too good in, in a global sense. So I think like the being a good person is just being kind of aware of your local environment, especially to other people. And, you know, just try not to do harm and, and to help where you can. That's my take on it. So I think there's sort of two levels for this, what makes a person good. There's the level at which we encourage people to do things. So like we incentivize people cooperating and um, we incentivize altruism when we incentivize sort of um, contributing to society but then there's sort of like the deeper level which I think is more true but it, it's to do with what is better for society over over the long run right so this sort of bumps up against just Darwinism and um, what we would say is probably the consciousness debate that goes on but Basically, I think the concept of someone being good is a little bit flawed in the fact that 
when you're a baby, right, and you grow up and you're helpless and, you know, you get passed on 50% of genes from your mother, 50% from your father, you grow up in a certain environment and then people say, well, half of your personality is from your genes, half it's from, you know, your society, and then there's all these studies about what the breakdown and what the sort of causes are, right? But what my argument would be is that none of it is really in your control. Your genes aren't in your control. Your environment isn't in your control. Being born wasn't in your control, which I think we've had this sort of discussion (laughs) before. But I just think the fact that someone being a better person than another person is just, it's just, I just don't think it makes any sense if you want to talk about in sort of like a responsible way as in like someone is responsible for being good because if in some metaphysical separate universe where we're not in bodies we're just we're just pure thought and we didn't have all these desires thrust upon us by evolution and we all had the exact same circumstance all had the exact same incentive structure we would all want to be good I, I just think the only thing that, like, if you want to do the audit trail of why someone did something bad, you can trace it to the synapse that made them do something, you know? So I just think saying someone's a good person is 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 relevant to say, well, who do you want in your basketball team? Like, who's the better basketball player? But I don't think it really matters, like, in the true sense of if someone's, like, can be looked at objectively as a better person than another. But in fact, I think you could just call it luck, right? But I think um, when you're talking about what makes what we encourage as a society, right, which is right, because if you don't encourage good things, then it's it's just going to be a bad society to live in, right? I think that's definitely world-dependent. So there's like a separate universe where there's just people just looting and people chasing down the looters. There's all these sort of like vigilantes and stuff like that but it just has they've just reached like a Nash equilibrium where everything is just in balance everyone sort of steals enough so they can eat it people fighting crime sort of benefit enough and like so the morality of that that earth you could say is just you grow up and you say oh am I going to be you know criminal that's just that's holy that's fine that's contributing to society or Am I going to be like this vigilante sort of just going against the laws and trying to stop people and stuff? So even though it doesn't sound like like a utopia to us, maybe that is just that's just the best it can get for that world. So I just I just think there's no objective set of characteristics that can make someone good. But I think if you just did a simple test, well, it's not a simple test, but it's like if you want to see how the volume of someone's like body you put them in a bathtub, you see how much the water raises by, right? And then you can, you know, you probably know the dimensions of the bathtub more than the dimensions of the human shape thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. but in a similar sense, if you remove the person from the society, if you could somehow track two traces of the earth, one with them and one without them, and you could just measure everyone's sort of conscious state, and if it's better in one universe and worse in another then you can say that person is a good person and that how good they are is just dependent on the difference they make. So, mm-hmm. and I, and I, I don't think any of that goodness can be traced back to anything that's they've created themselves. Pretty simple. Hmm. <laughs> so, okay. But what you're saying is 
well, first you're saying that there is like a theoretically way to measure it, but it's not practical, right? Because you're saying... It, it's not... No, it's not practical. I mean, it's practical in some sense in like you can do like your own experiment where if you have two groups of kindergartners, right, like two groups of four, say it's just a bunch of boys and they're playing games and you put this extra person into the game for a week Mm -hmm. and then, you know, they seem to be having more fun or something's going better and then you put another person in, you exchange that person out for another person that's going terribly, you can say, well, this person is better for that for that group like that they mesh well right Mm -hmm. so if you could you know you just have to abstract that to say well if you put that this person into a world not just uh it's just the world is just a bigger basketball match you know Mm -hmm. it's just yeah but in that basketball match there's a bunch of uncontrollables i know but the thing is that's why you can't do a perfect abstraction to see what a person's effect of the world would be but then they're, they're, if you just say there's no other plan, no other life on other planets, it's just it's just Earth, right? Then, in my understanding, if you put someone into a world, say you're just God, right? You put someone into the world, and mostly it just doesn't change the world. But there's this a slight like where this person goes, there's a slight unhappiness compared to what it would be if they just weren't in the world, right? Then I don't think there's any argument you can say, well, this person is a good person. But this world doesn't like them. I just think that there's no such thing as that good standard. It's just it, the world is everything. There's if this person makes the world better, they're a good person, and if they if they don't, they're not a good person by by definition. Dreaming up another scenario where they would fit in better doesn't make them better. But what is the scale? Like according to what do you measure that the world just gotten better? Oh, sorry, I didn't mention. I would just measure it. Obviously, this is all theoretical again, but um, I would just measure it by simple am- amount of pleasure people get. So just like the hedonic calculator, as is some great philosopher probably said. Yeah, but that's why it's not really practical because it's not something you can measure. So No, no, it's not practical. It's definitely not practical. Let me bring you back to the smaller question. Like, what do you do to, to make yourself oh, okay. a good person? Yeah, that's what I consider like the first level. So the second level is like on a universal basis. The first level is just like, what do we encourage to make life better for everyone? And I would just say, well, I think what Barrio said is probably the best thing. Compassion for people around you. Compassion is more important than most other things. Imagine, I've got a notepad in front of me, but imagine a a mountain, right? So it just goes up and then down. So it's like an upside down V, right? Say you were trying to be a good person, right? And you're just helping out everyone you liked, right? So you don't have compassion in a sense that anyone you don't like, you don't have the compassion to start like them. But anyone you do like, you will will help out just because it's in your nature, right? Yeah. Well, you can go all the way up that upside down V to get to the top and you can be the most moral person, right? If you don't come across anyone you don't like. Because in this hypothetical world, you like everyone you meet just because that's you happen to meet people you, you like, right? But the world's not like an upside down V. It's like an upside down V with lots of jigs and jags in it, right? So... You're going up, but then you're going down. Then you're going up. Then you're going down. And you want to get still to the top, like the the what you 
say is like the not the local peak the global peak or whatever right but if you just go up to the top and then on both like on, onto your little peak right on both sides of you are going to be downs right there's going to be a step down so you're going to have to take a step down to get back up to another taller peak right until and you do that until you can get to the biggest peak but for me compassion is what is going down on those peaks it's doing something that is not intuitive to you because you know it's the right thing to do so it's like a it's like a meta value it's like it's i'm i'm doing something that i don't want to do because i want to do something that's greater than any of these small little things i want to i want to be a compassionate person so um for me compassion gets you out of all these little tight spots like where you could easily go to another country just hate everyone in this country and not realize how good it could be if you could actually just find it in your heart to actually be compassionate for people you don't usually sort of talk with you know so yeah i think compassion is the most important Here's what I've got. I like I like to think that a person is good if they take the time to think about the situation they're in and decide to do the right thing even or especially when it might discomfort them. You know, mm. like not someone who does good things when they're easy to do or when it benefits them. Uh, I'm not talking about someone who, you know, would necessarily commit their life to doing the right thing or or, or to help other people all the time on expense of their own life, but like You know, it can be small things, like if you notice that something needs to be done around the house and you can do it because it helps everyone instead of ignoring it and, and doing your own stuff. Or it can be bigger stuff like taking the time to help others, even if you don't have to, you know, like staying late at work and, and help a colleague and stopping and helping someone on the side of the road to change a tire or something. You know, these are things that take more time and energy from you, but if you know that they're the right things to do and you're willing to do them, I think it makes you a good person. So, like, I think to implement this idea in your life, you have to start with small things and build on that. Like, I'm not, again, I'm not talking about going out of your way to, to be the best person you can be. You know, be aware of your surroundings and do the right thing, even if it's not the best thing for you. Hmm. Would you think maybe that could be summarized as having good intentions? Hmm. I'm not sure. You know, you, they say that, you know, the, the road, road to, hell. to hell is paved with good intentions. Um <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm not sure if someone, if someone who just messed up his entire life and, and caused a lot of suffering, but it was all in accident, you know, he was filled with good intentions, isn't he is considered to be a, a good person? One that you maybe won't want to be around, but, uh, but a good person nonetheless. Yeah. Just on that information based on my calculus, not a good person. But hmm. that's just based on my calculation of he didn't do anything like, good at all like he, he was he was had good intentions but he just slippery fingers was just couldn't accomplish anything and he just died no one took any lessons from it but sometimes having good intentions is better than what you do sometimes it's just passing those good intentions on to your kids or something like that and they can do something good because if if for instance the world was really good for one generation where everyone had bad intentions but everything just worked out everyone had bad intentions but everyone was really happy and <laughs> I don't think it's sustainable. I think good intentions can be bad for some things, but I think they're more sustainable. Yeah. I think I can tie your point back to mine if you want. Yeah. Okay. So, 
basically what I would what I could summarize yours as is saying given time to think this person would realize the proper thing to do you know so like for instance he might make knee jerk decisions which you'll later regret but given time to ruminate on them and actually reflect he'll do the right thing is that would that be fair yeah to a certain extent yeah okay so how I can tie that back to things the society encourages in a good society would be to say, for those people who might slip up from time to time, but given the time to reflect, they'll actually realize the right thing to do. Those people are easier to predict what they're going to do in the future. So people who do decent things, but don't understand why they're doing it are unreliable and you can't trust them because you don't know when their intentions or when their incentives are going to change. But someone who, given the time, will always come to the right decision, you can actually trust them. Even if they do go a little bit off the beaten path a little bit, you know you can trust them to do things without you having to watch them. So that's, that is what I would say is most valuable. You know, the person that does make an odd mistake isn't really damaging the structure of the world too much. It's it's people that just don't have any sort of ability to recenter themselves. I, I don't. I think we we can combine all of it and create the best person. <laughs> in your world, though, in my world, mine's just like evenly balanced, like sadists and masochists. Yeah, Peter is all about the big picture. <laughs> your person is just in the middle of this little world, you know. Whereas yeah, I'm... no, it won't work if it, you have one <laughs> of my people. Like if everyone has the compassion and, and thinks about their environment, uh, then then you can have a utopia. <laughs> it p- collapses into like a game theoretic pretty quick, doesn't it? Like road to hell is paid with good intentions is definitely a, is definitely true in that sense. Like if everyone was just trying to feed everyone else, no one would ever get fed. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I always find myself in this constant argument. If it's more of an empirical thing that you kind of measure the overall happiness versus suffering and, and kind of see if, uh, what's, what's the bottom line. Or is it something that is a bit more human maybe that kind of like the individual matters all of the same. And, and you know, maybe according to different uh, game theories you can say that eventually you know if, if you'll take care of the individual then as the society will be happy as its own i think there's also like there's all kind of this theoretical discussion and eventually there's how do we act that make us better people or what we would recommend for people to do in order for them to be better you probably heard about that deterministic uh, theory that says like that everything is is kind of set up in advance, and if you if you would have known you know the exact location and velocity of each particle in the universe, you would you would be able to say everything that happened and everything that will happen because it's all like causality, right? And and you know put aside chaos theory and, and all that such that kind of says that it's not really possible, but um, or or maybe it is in some variation. But the thing is about that theory is that it's the worst strategy that an individual can use. Like, as an individual, you shouldn't assume that everything is predetermined. Totally agree with this. Yeah, if, even if it is predetermined. I think what's interesting about this example is that we kind of get this logical conclusion for not being logical, 
right? Because it says that uh, on the on the strategic level, it's better not to believe something that is logical because it will serve us better down the road. And I think it, we can kind of also connect it to the uh, aspect of being a good person because what makes a good person in the global scale, although it might be true, isn't necessarily the best strategy for being a good person in our day-to-day lives. Kind of sounds like something from Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah, I actually do. So I actually do believe this. So like, it's, for instance, the book is already, of your life, is already written. So you're on page 50 and page 52 is already written, page 72 is already written, page 136 all written, right? But you don't know what's happening the next page. So if you decide to say, well, it's all determined, what's the point? That itself is determined. <laughs> or if you were to say, well, screw it, I don't care, I'm just going to do as best as I can, that's itself is determined. It's, it, it's just because it's determined doesn't mean any of these thoughts that you have don't matter. So, And you never know what's around the corner. You never know what good you can do. So... The determinism thing for me is is less important the more you think about it. But I think what Barrio is saying is really important. Um, if you sort of act in a way that you're trying to preserve your global moral values, then that's not actually that useful. The most useful thing you can do is just be honest, be loyal, you know, be critical of yourself and all this stuff because that stuff is much more workable than thinking about like, the balance of suffering and pleasure and all this hedonic calculus and all this stuff. So even though I do heavily subscribe to the balance of suffering and pleasure, it's just not useful day to day. Yeah. We should become a philosophy podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're on our way. The question is if it's the best strategy to be a a philosophical podcast. This week, we're talking about the TV series Firefly and the movie Serenity. Um, Firefly, the series, ran for half a season in 2002 and 2003, and then it was cancelled to the dismay of many fans. Serenity, the movie, came out in 2005 to basically um, finish the story, you know, let the fans of the show have a bit of closure. The show, created by Joss Whedon of the Avengers fame, is a mixture of um, the sci-fi and western genres. Um, It takes place in a future in which humanity is spread across the galaxy, uh, but it focuses mainly on the outer rim planets, in which, you know, the living is hard, and people end up living in kind of an old-fashioned way. Um, The series follows Malcolm Reynolds, played by Nathan Fillion, um, and his crew. He is the captain of a Firefly-type cargo ship named Serenity. And a few years before the story begins, Malcolm, or Mal, fought in a civil war against the unification of the galaxy under one governmental body, known as the Alliance. And the Alliance has won the war. And throughout the show, we kind of see the Alliance, it's presented as this cold, rigid, unforgiving, um, militaristic body. Um, People who, who look to avoid living under the Alliance's rule tend to go to these outer rim planets where either the Alliance impact is less felt or, you know, the Alliance is just not interested in. So Mel, who was on the losing side of the war, he always kind of seemed to put freedom and honor above anything else. And the crew of the Serenity, they travel around the galaxy in search for jobs they can do. Some are more legitimate, some are not so much so. 
here's a quote from the show. The, the rerun version of the show has this opening dialogue. So here's a part of it. It says, Out here, people struggle to get by with the most basic technologies. A ship would bring you work. A gun would help you keep it. A captain's goal was simple. Find a crew, find a job, keep flying. I think that kind of sums the whole show up. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I really like it. So um, the, the crew of the Serenity is made of Zoe. Uh, she's played by Gina Torres. She's the first officer on the Serenity. She fought with Malcolm in the war. There's this kind of unbreakable trust between them, between her and uh, Mal. There's Wash, played by Alan Tudyk. He's a pilot of the Serenity. Um, and he's also Zoe's husband. He's kind of the funny guy on the ship. There's Jane, played by Adam Baldwin. He's the muscle, kind of the weapons expert of the crew. Kind of a dumb and unsophisticated character. Um, there's Kaylee, played by Jill State. She's the ship's mechanic. She's not trained in any way as a mechanic, but she seems to have this intuitive way to do things. There's Inara, uh, played by Morena Baccarin. She's not exactly part of the crew. She's a professional companion, which uh, in this universe or, or verse... It's, it's basically kind of a geisha or an escort, which is a highly regarded profession in, in the verse. She has this mutualistic relationship with Serenity. She gets to travel around with them and thus reach more customers. And her presence on the Serenity gives it a bit of legitimacy. You know, it allows them to act with a bit more freedom than they otherwise could have. In the first episode of the show, we see the Serenity pick up a few passengers. Most of them kind of stick around and become regulars on the show. There's Simon and River Tam, played by Sean Marr and Summer Glau. Simon, he's a doctor, and his sister River, they're running away from the Alliance. We, we find out quickly that they're fugitives. Um, Simon becomes part of the crew as a doctor, and River, she seems to be this troubled but very gifted person. She was a captive of the Alliance, we learned throughout the episodes. And throughout the series and the movie, their story, the, the Simon and River storyline, is basically the main plotline. The last character is a guy called Shepherd Book. He is a religious man. Basically, he's like a traveling pastor. He seems to be the voice of morality in the show. Kind of clashes with Mal a bit. Um, it's also suggested that his past is not as clean as it is presented to be in the show. And Serenity is, in a way, both the home and the provider of the crew. Kind of sometimes referred to as another crew member. Uh, the TV series follows the adventures of the crew of the Serenity. It kind of explores themes like freedom and loyalty and living on the fringes of society. It slowly builds the story of the Tam siblings, but it was cut short, so the movie picks things up and finishes the story. Um, so that's basically it. What, what do you guys think of the show, of the movie? What, what, how was your experience watching the whole thing? So I, I tried watching it once. And I fell asleep and I didn't return to it ever since because I don't know it didn't it didn't really add up to me but I kept hearing really great things about it like it, it became um, this cult series that everyone mourns for about its yeah, cancellation it does have a cult following yeah yeah so I so when when you suggested it I thought wow that's that's a great opportunity to give it another shot and man i'm glad we did because i just binged it in about uh, two or three days and i got really sucked into the i think if you got time to just get sucked in into it you get a lot more than watching uh, an episode here and there you get into the into the writers and the directors mind and and you kind of get 
the jokes better. You kind of get the flow, the vibe, the interactions, the relationships a lot more better. You're more aware once you're you're on that on that flow, and it's a great one. I understand now exactly what all those uh, fanboys and girls talked about. It was much much better than than I initially expected. Um, it's hard to believe it's from so long ago. Yeah, it came out almost like 18 years ago. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. It really, really holds up. It brings a lot of very interesting elements that you would never think will work together, and they just do. The concept of a Western in outer space, the concept of kind of like this American wildlife and, and a Japanese uh, culture. Chinese. Chinese culture, right. It just works. I, I really enjoyed it, and... I completely joined the fan base and the mourners that say that, damn, there's so much more that I want to understand about that universe. And, and uh, now yeah. that it's canceled, we, we will never get to. How about you, Peter? Um, so the first episode was enjoyable. I was watching it with you guys. And um, this is definitely one of those series that I've heard um, countless times recommended. Not ne- Not necessarily recommend directly, but... It, it has a bit of a cult following. And um, the first episode was quite interesting. I thought, you know, the character development was pretty good just for this sort of double episode. And then when I started watching it, like, um, by myself, the first maybe two episodes sort of were a bit slow. Like, I, I was enjoying it. It was actually really well made, and I could see that. But it didn't really connect with me too much. It was sort of just uh, just something nice to put on. And then as I got into like the middle episodes, so definitely episode six with the Our Mrs. Reynolds, yeah. um, thought that was um, a really good episode. Then I sort of started like connecting with the characters more and the, I realized that the plots were really quite interesting. For 45 minutes, it was, they cover so much more than just like an NCIS sort of drama. It was every new episode had like a different planet they go to or like a different sort of emergency and it wasn't like a sitcom where you just get them all sitting on the couch going oh what are we doing today Hmm. chinese food you know it was it's very much like every episode felt like a season finale for something so it became very interesting around sort of the middle episode and then um and then from out of gas onwards they all felt like mini movies to me like out of gas was um one of my favorites where they were running out of oxygen yeah and um, has all those flashbacks of Mal. And um, that was like one of my favorite episodes. And then after that, like how they do the hospital heist, the one where um, Mal and Wash were being tortured and then the antique weapon and the guy in the... Yeah, just, there's just so many good moments. Yeah. I can't believe, like, I felt like I experienced way more than one season. I felt like I wouldn't... I don't connect with characters in 14 episodes as quickly as I, I ever have watching this. Like, it, it it's just amazing. And I think the reason is because, especially towards the back half of the season, everything is like an emergency. There's no normal flying, normal jobs. I mean, the closest you could say is the is where they're trying to save the um, companioned, trained friend of Inara yeah. um, in Heart of Gold. Mm-hmm. I guess that was a normal-ish job, but I mean, even still, it was, you know, it was off the rails. It wasn't regular work for them. Yeah, but it just felt like the second half of the season was a little bit more intense than the first half. 
and well, maybe, maybe it was a little bit me as well. Maybe I was just sort of settling into it. But I felt like the dire circumstances that they were coming up against sort of bring the crew closer together every time. So um, it's constantly watching them sort of spread apart and come back together mm. and spread apart, come back together. And, um, yeah, you can see they have, like, really strong bonds. So yeah. by the season finale, I'll... I was absolutely at my height of interest for this show. So um, I th- I think if someone was going into it and watched maybe the first couple episodes and weren't super into it, definitely stay, definitely definitely keep watching because yeah. I think um, maybe if you're like me, maybe it just takes a few more episodes to sort of get your hooks in and um, and then the last half of the season was just a pleasure to watch. I have to say I really enjoyed like watching it, I spread it across the last couple of weeks. So I watched basically an episode a day or so. And like, I know it might feel like it takes a while to really, you know, be hooked by it. But I also think that from the first episode, it kind of feels that Whedon, uh, Joss Whedon, the creator of the show, kind of knew exactly what feel and what atmosphere he wanted to go with, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like... Um, some shows kind of build up over a few episodes or, or over a season. This one just goes right into it, doesn't it? Yeah, this goes right into it. I totally agree. Like, it starts strong. And I think that the first and second, you know, the first double episode, it's basically the introduction of everything and the world and everything. I think it's a masterclass in kind of introducing a universe. I don't know. It's just everything works and every every character gets a bit of attention and brings everything together strongly. I love the way that the characters interact with each other. You know, it kind of, it makes it feel like there's a lot under the surface that we don't yet see. And it doesn't feel forced at all. I think the cast is amazing. The Kim Schmidt Windham is one of the best I can think of. Uh, the, the dialogues and the slangs are amazing. You know, like old-timey and sophisticated at the same time. Just awesome. Now, as opposed to the, the, to the series, what do you guys think of the movie? It came out, I think, three years after the show ended or two years after and just kind of closes everything. Um, I didn't like it as much as the show. Like, the movie was two hours, and I would have rather three extra episodes, like three 45-minute episodes. That would have been probably better, but it wasn't bad. It was still good. Like, the, the especially towards the end, it was um, really well shot, and it, it just had, like, an intensity that rivaled some of the best episodes of the show. But um, I don't know. I, I would have rathered three regular episodes. I would have rathered they do episode 15, 16, 17. What do you think, Barrio? Well, it definitely left a taste for more. I don't know. When I watched it, it, it kind of tickled all the loose ends that more screen time would probably, like in the, TV, in the series format instead of the movie format, uh, would probably answer. Like... It, it seemed like this really interesting universe and there are a lot of open threads that, that still exist and it kind of felt rushed. Nonetheless, I did enjoy the movie. I think that what they did with the rivers, I think it's brilliant because they didn't, you never actually saw uh, no river, rivers, right? Rivers, yeah. They're basically the, the kind of the invisible enemy that kind of floats around all the time because you you hear legends about them, but you never really see them. Yeah, and I love that you never seen anyone as terrified as as they are when they hear about the rivers. Yeah, and you never actually see them. You only you only see 
what's left behind them and you see people go mad after they've seen it and after they, they were abused by them yeah but the movie kind of takes it and explains about their origin and how it also connects to how the series started and it kind of wraps everything together and and brings back um well the belief of uh of uh, mal so in in that aspect they did a brilliant work but again it was way way too rushed and there's so much more that <laughs> that we want to know i agree i think like i i really like the movie i had a lot of fun watching it i had so much fun watching it two or three days ago that yesterday I watched it again just for the fun of it. I think I totally think that they've done the best that they can do with what they have. They had two hours to close all the all the plot lines basically. so they I think they did the best they could. But what are you gonna do instead of telling the story over a few episodes like they've initially planned, uh, I guess, they had to quickly just rush to the end, which, I, I agree. It feels rushed. But they it, didn't close a lot of threads. No, they closed the main ones. Yeah. Because like the, the story of River Tam and, you know, her captivity with the Alliance and the Rivers, they don't focus on these plot lines every episode of the show, but you can feel that they're building towards it. You know, they're adding details all the time and adding to the legend of the Rivers, adding to the mystery of what happened to River, which I hate that... The Reavers and River have basically the same name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then, like, in the movie, they have to close this plot line. And I think that you can see that what they have are brilliant ideas. But just thinking about what they could have done with a few more episodes, I think they could have done something a lot, a lot better and, and just amazing. It's sad that they, they got canceled. Like, the first thing I did after watching the movie and, you know, finishing watching the whole thing is going on Reddit and looking for rumors if they're going to bring it back someday or not. <laughs> they did the movie 10 years after the series, right? No, the movie came out in 2005. So three years after the series mm. ended. What I sort of gleaned from the internet about why they were canceled was just it wasn't promoted very well. It was... Um, Sort of had a cult following even at the time, but yeah. it was just put on at the at bad times and it wasn't marketed um, to the right people. Yeah, it was on Fox and they, they gave them the slot that like the, the worst time on Friday night. Uh... And for some reason, I also heard that Fox played the episodes out of order. Like the episode that we watched together, which is the first one, the pilot, the, the one that kind of introduces everything. They played it as episode number 11 for some reason. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and like... I, I, That's just... Yeah. I've read about the struggles between Whedon and, and Fox. They had a lot of struggles about the tone of the show. And, and it kind of makes you think, like, who the hell is in charge of choosing what shows to air and what, what the hell is wrong with them? Because, like, one of the things that the people from Fox didn't like about the show is that Mal wasn't jolly enough. Like, that he wasn't too dark. And he's... I don't know, one of the best characters I've seen in, in a while now. He's amazing, I think. And if that's what you want from a show, like to have the captain more jolly, then you probably miss the point of the show, you know? Mm. They also didn't want a show about people who live under a policy, like under the alliance. They wanted a show about the policy makers, which again, why, why does it matter? The show is great as it is. Why, why, why does it matter? Fox are sounding a lot like the alliance, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Let me ask you guys, um, 
who was your favorite character? Like, and, and I have to say, in my mind, when I'm asking this question, I'm kind of assuming that it excludes Mel. Because Damn it! Yeah, look, uh. I don't know. He's kind of the center of everything. I kind of feel like all of the characters kind of come out of Mel. I don't care. You can say Mel yeah. if you want. I think Mel is the most complex character, but I think one of the greatest thing about this series is that they all got their own interactions between each, uh, with each other. A very fun and interesting relationship is between Zoe and, and Wash, right? Because they're such opposites, even with regarding to Mal, right? Where where Zoe is completely is completely loyal and, and Wash keeps... Well, lo- Wash is loyal, but he keeps challenging his relationship uh, because Joey is so, is, so, is so loyal. I think, uh, like, the relationship between uh, Kaylee and the Doctor is also kind of cute. I really like Kaylee. I think she's my favorite. Well, you don't you don't see enough of her darker shades of, of, of mood, but you get these glimpses. And I don't know, she's cute and funny, and she kind of takes the, the series to a more uh, fun scenes, I think. I, I In the first episode, I, I really thought she's going to die, because I, I thought, oh, wow, she... She's definitely, uh, you know, a, a cup of sunshine. So they're gonna kill her really early off. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, luckily, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, like I said, she's cute and fun, but she's awesome because she's not dumb. You know, she's useful. She's she's always ready to go and fix the ship when it's needed. It's a great character. I agree. Who's yours, Peter? Um, except for Mal, I really like Mal. He he's one of the best characters I've seen written in a TV show because. The thing about Mal, before I go to my other person, um, what struck me the most was just how determined he is for the mission. He's willing to give up anything else, that, like all luxuries, if if that's what it will take. And I think that's the reason why he's the captain. He knows what what it's going to take. And other people are not willing to sort of to go to that mental place. When he just goes straight there, he just says, well, this is what's going to need to be done and everything else can absolutely F off, you know, like (laughs) he's just got such a almost like tunnel vision for the mission, whereas the other characters are sort of always in two minds a little bit. He He's never in two minds. He always knows exactly what yeah. he's going to do. So, and he has this sort of interesting like business type, like if you're a part of the ship, he'll like protect you. But if you're not, then he doesn't care about you. It's like such a hard line. So he still has this like interesting code. But my if if we have to exclude Mal, my favorite would be Simon, just because he has such an interesting incentives. Because he he, he needs to protect his sister, but he also likes being on the ship, and he can't let River go, um, go wild because then he will be in trouble as well. And he's just given up all his doctor work and everything just to be in this like crazy situation. And then he's also putting off his desire for Kaylee and like, whereas, whereas if you look at Jane and you look at uh, Wash and stuff, they can always relax at night. They do a full day's work, but after it's just chill. It's just cool. But for him, he's always got to be doing something you know like if it's not the mission then he's going to be looking after river if it's not that then it's government alliance stuff so he's always sort of under pressure i like his portrayal of someone like who's always got got something going on yeah i think his character goes through 
like a lot of growth throughout the series, more, more than the others, I think. Yeah, his politeness sort of takes this weird sort of journey where he is a sort of super polite person, but you can tell that it's sort of, it's weighing on him a little bit. Yeah. Like he, he, he sort of has to put on like a, like a, not a facade, but he, he needs to stay strong yeah. to sort of um, think about his, his broader sort of goal of like helping his sister. Yeah, I agree. My favorite character was the one I connected to the most was Zoe. Like, it was so fun watching her all throughout the season. She's always so reliable and trustworthy. You know, she's smart. She always gets what's going on. A lot of her interactions with Mal are, you know, beneath the surface. They're not even talking. They're just looking at each other. And there's this understanding. And like the fact that she also kind of fought in the war, uh, you know, alongside Mal, kind of makes me feel like she has um, also a very clear set of moral principles. Like, we don't really see it uh, throughout the show, but the fact that she fought in the war kind of intrigues me. Like, what made her fight in the war? We see Mal, he's always talking about freedom and, and, you know, not living under the rule of the Alliance, but she's more quiet about that, but she, she fought in the war. That definitely means something to her as well. And also, you know, she's not robotic. She has a very human side and she loves Wash. And he brings out a side of her that makes her kind of a complete person. You know, she's always serious and, and ready to work and stuff. But when she's with him, she's she becomes this jokey and more relaxed person. I really liked it. I never really thought about that um, sort of side of her before. The How she can sort of... Um, she's got the seriousness of Mal, but... She doesn't really fall in this, like, freedom sort of ship that he does, you know? She always has his back. I love it. And um, so I also wanted to mention the soundtrack, but I kind of have the feeling that, Peter, you want to talk about that? (laughs) No, you can start off if you want. I'll chime in. I don't have too much to say, but, like, it's just lovely. It's kind of a, a futuristic space TV series. The soundtrack, it's always this acoustic guitar and and uh, fiddles and violins and... It makes it feel old-timey, and it's always perfect. You know, it's always energetic or sad or fun or whatever you need it to be. And, like, especially, I think when the movie starts, when you see the Serenity and its crew for the first time, you get this, like, a really fast-paced strumming on the acoustic guitar, and, like, it's it just fills you up with excitement and, and the feel of adventure. And I think they've done an awesome job with it. Yeah, I agree. It's um, amazing composition of um, music it, it's it's everything it's like the main theme it's the it's the intro and outro sequences it's the sound effects and it's um obviously between scenes you get some like beautiful sort of um violin and yeah. um acoustic guitar almost like slide guitar yeah, you could sometimes say. yeah sometimes slide guitar as well um yeah it's really good i actually i think i texted it to you guys that i my complaint was that it didn't feature enough like <laughs> i wish music was more of a part of it yeah. but i sort of i sort of retract that a little bit i i think if you really focus on it it does come up a little bit more for the last few episodes i was sort of like you know trying to pay a bit more attention to like what was going on musically and um no it's all there i i wish other series has had such an interesting sort of not just like I feel like with a lot of crime stuff now, it's just a lot of like. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. It's just like 
kind of generic it's just very beats. plain. It is very generic, you know. It's it's almost like a like a starting screen of the movie. Yeah. It's just like you know when you put on a DVD and you can just see like this little preview yeah. they have, and it just constantly repeats, and you've been watching it for hours, and you're like, why am I still watching this preview? It's sort of like that. No, it's just like very <laughs> generic. Like you don't you don't notice it. You know, it's serviceable, but not more. Nothing more. <laughs> serviceable. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. Yeah, but here it's part of the 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 personality it adds to it so much yeah adds to it so much i don't think i've ever skipped the intro theme or the the oh, no ending way. theme <laughs> so i'm let, let me ask you this i think it's been 18 years since the show ended 15 years since the movie came out would you guys want the show back today would you guys bring it back and if you would like would you rather they pick it up where the movie ended or like they pretend it didn't happen pick things up where the show left it and, you know, then tell the story like they originally intended to. I don't want them to bring it yeah, back. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. Maybe it's because I kind of binged through it all. I would like them to pick up uh, from where the movie... You know what? Now that I'm saying it out loud, maybe maybe not. The thing is that the movie ends with starting a war. Like, it's, it's a very dramatic yeah. change in the narrative, right? Uh-huh. Like, uh, until the movie, each episode could have just existed on its own and have, like, these small references. Like, like I think most good TV shows are kind of like this. There's uh, the, there's this, the small story in an episode, which kind of starts and ends in, in the same 40 minutes or so. And, and you get glimpses of the larger story. Mm-hmm. The larger story after the movie have to change yeah. because like a river was the basic of the larger story and it pretty much ended. And there's a new one where they kind of fight the Alliance in, in broad daylight. So yeah, maybe, you know what, maybe, maybe before the movie. I, if I could go back in time, I'd love to see this continue yeah. and just have like a four or five season show and just, just have it all out in full. But now, like, 18 years later, I just it would just make me sad to see... I don't know. It would feel like reparations for, for the cult following, wouldn't it? It would just... like. And the thing is, like, you'd see everyone all aged and they're trying to recreate what it was. And it would just feel like... All I'd be thinking of is just, why didn't they do it before? Yeah. It, just, it just feels like it's been too long. Yeah, it'll never um, be the same as it used to be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that sucks. Really sucks. I heard in some YouTube or podcast, well, I've never watched The Walking Dead, but I understand there's like this animated series they did on The Walking mm-hmm. Dead where they brought the same actors to to voice the same characters. So okay. that could be an interesting turn of events to, yeah, to also do to Firefly. So that you kind of, because, you know, while animating, you can preserve the look and, and kind of the, the feel. And... You can get the the same voices and same tones and such. Sounds like an interesting idea yeah. to take to take it forward. Did you guys know that there's this canonical comic book series for um, Firefly? No. Yeah, an illustrated novel. I don't know how many books they have, but I know there's a book about like the past of um, Shepherd Book. It kind of tells about his background. I don't know how many books there are. I don't know how if they're still running today. Maybe I don't know. I know they're canonical. Should be pretty good. Should be. At least, pretty interesting. <laughs> on um on Reddit, I'm just looking now. There's a bit of like a um someone's broken down like all of the 
Serenity and Firefly comics. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll I'll send it to you and we can link it. it looks like there's about so five volumes of what looks like to be Serenity, and then there's another few volumes of something else. So yeah, I want to see what they're about and maybe get them. I don't know, like. There is... I was left with a taste for more. I'm left for a taste for more, and I do like comics, so... Um, yeah. I'm super keen for this, actually. This is nice. Yeah, I can see The Shepherd's Tale, um, and there's, and there's I think, there's one about Wash that goes through his past, mm, so... That'd be cool. And then there's obviously, like, the actual show, I think, they have in a comic, but... Um, or a series. But, yeah, no, this is this is awesome. I would I, I would be interested in, in seeing that. Um, does anyone have any... Does anyone have a favorite episode? Um, I think you mentioned my favorite episode, the one with the out of, out gas. of gas episode. Yeah, like it's kind of it has this dire feeling. Like mo- most of the crew had to abandon the ship. Um, Mel is left on it alone. Like something exploded in the engine, I think, or something, and and there's no life support. And they're just dead in the water. So he's left alone. He's trying to fix the ship on his own. And throughout the the episode, you get a bunch of like. Uh, flashbacks that kind of show you how they met each other and everything and as you go i'm not going to tell the story of the episode but things get worse and worse and worse and you 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 don't see how it's going to end like you know he's going to be okay in the end but it's stressful it's such an amazing episode such a stressful episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah that one's probably my favorite, tied with war stories as well, where um, Mal and Washer being like tortured, and then Zoe leads a team in to like <laughs> rescue them. That was just awesome. Just, yeah, <laughs> like really cool action. And then um, you had um, Rivers sort of like crazy aimbot, and uh, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, mm. like it has like a great example of you know the the sophisticated and funny dialogues there like like the pacing of the dialogue is also great like she comes to save them and they're torturing her husband and the captain that she's always loyal to and the captain and her husband are fighting for her loyalty in a way like her husband is jealous uh, of mel and niska the bad guy i think he wants to kind of taunt her and he's he wants to kind of hold it uh, in front of her and say you have to choose between your husband and her captain and like what are you going to do and it's, it's a hard decision it's gonna be Sophie's choice but yeah and she's like no I want to take this guy I want to take my husband and that's it I, I bet you thought it'd be harder for me yeah why do you think she chose well I mean this sounds just a stupid question now I say it. why do you think she chose her husband but like <laughs> I think um, like <laughs> again it's the loyalty to the captain she knew he'd find a way and or that that yeah in the end he would make make it out of there. Yeah. I think Wash would have died. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> she was like about to point at Mal and she's like, oh, Wash is still alive. Okay, okay I'll go with Wash then. <laughs> Thought he'd be dead. Baro, what about you? Uh, because I binged it, I it kind of meshed together. But there's one, I think it's called Objects in Space. The one with the bounty hunter? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That was another stressful episode. He gave me the creeps. Yeah. I mean, what I really liked about that episode is because it showed exactly um, how special this TV series is. Because, like, that guy, I don't know why he, he was so... He creeped me out in, in a very deep level because he was so nice. You know, he was so he was so delightful when he asked... Kylie, if she's ever been raped, and hmm. that was ah, oh, I, 
<laughs> I don't know. That creeped me like, out. They really went for this mysterious feeling in this episode, and they did it so well. Like, you know, they're in the middle of space. There's nothing, literally nothing around them. And somehow, they don't know how, but somehow he got on their ship, and he knows everything about them. I think Joss Whedon can really make a very delightful bad guy. I, he, already, he also did it in the movie. Uh, right, where, where yeah, there's the this... The believer or the operative or whatever his name was. Yeah, but again, like, they're really, really nice and, and intelligent, but they're awful. <laughs> but you you don't notice how awful. But maybe that even makes them more awful, yeah. you know? You know who else you're describing as well? Loki. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Loki from uh, the Marvel yeah, the Avengers. Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I totally scene agree. I loved in um, Objects in Space was where like shit was sort of hitting the fan and then um, Jane grabs the cloth that's like covering his gun cabinet and it exposes like <laughs> all the guns like ready, locked and loaded and he just puts it over. He goes back like, like a blanket. <laughs> like you needed more warmth. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah. There's so many funny moments. I wish I writ- wrote them all down, but... Yeah, another great moment with him in the movie when they're like getting ready to fight the Reavers, the mysterious enemy that we've feared throughout the series and the movie. And like every time their name is mentioned, everyone is just creeped out and like anxious about it and then they're you know getting everything ready to fight them and he talks about getting out of there alive and zoe asks him do you really think anyone is going to get out alive and he's like looking up and sizing the characters (laughs) the other crew members and he says i might (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah he's a great character but you know he also like even though he's, he's probably the most shallow character he also has depth yeah like the, the, in the episode with the mothers, right, where where he kind of becomes a folk hero, yeah, like Jamestown. you see that, yeah, like you see that he he has real depth and he actually do care and he he's not only about well, money is a big part of it. No, but he has respect for authority or um, like he's part of the crew and he respects that. Yeah, he's a little more than just a dumb character, than just the muscle, as opposed to Zoe. He doesn't get the plan or why they're doing everything. But he goes along with it, and it's not that he'll never betray the crew, but as long as he is with the crew, that's the top priority for him. There's one thing I have to mention on this YouTube channel called um, Passion of the Nerd. I think I sent you a link just before we started recording. I'll put it in the show notes. The Passion of the Nerd, he does like episode breakdowns of you know all kinds of TV shows and I think movies now as well. I think he did Buffy the Vampire Slayer and other stuff. But he does these amazing episode breakdowns of the show, of uh, Firefly. I think he's only up to episode three at the moment, but they're amazing. Like, he points out a lot of analogies and symbols and stuff that I wouldn't have noticed otherwise. Like, things that makes the characters even deeper. And things that just make the show more interesting. Like, an example is when he talked about episode three, Bushwhacked, the, the episode where they come upon this derelict ship and they stop and see what they can find on it, and, you know, they see that it was attacked by Reavers. So he points out a lot of similarities to horror film, like, especially um, Stephen King's It. It's really interesting. I wouldn't have noticed it any other way. And um, I have to say, I'm really glad that I missed this show for so long. (laughs) Like, I can't imagine watching this show when it came out and then seeing it get cancelled, and then every once in a while hearing about rumors that it might come back for, what is it, 18 years now? 
And um, all in all, I really was expecting to enjoy this because, like we said, this has this geeky cult following to it, and these things tend to be pretty good. And uh, I'm I'm really glad we watched it. I mean, it was a great experience for me. Cool. Especially during this um, lockdown sort of quarantine thing. Yeah. This is so yeah. fun. Like, this is <laughs> such a cool thing to watch. Yeah, you can really sink into it and kind of forget about what's going on. Yeah, it's so cool. Peter, why don't you introduce the subject of our next episode? Sure. So, as usual, I'm trying to expand what we do um, here on the Culture Quest. So, I thought we've done regular sort of albums, we've done movies, done now a TV show, but I thought I want to do something to do with music, but I wanted to do something a little bit different. So, I thought let's do a live album. Like, let's take a big concert which gets lots of acclaim. Let's just listen to a full concert and see what a band has like live on stage. So I thought I didn't want to pick someone I'm too I'm too familiar with, but I looked at Live Aid actually um, after watching Bohemian Rhapsody, and um, I watched um, Queen's sort of 20 minute set, and um, it's really getting pumped for it. I thought the year after Live Aid, Queen came back to Wembley Stadium where they performed. And they did a massive gig for, I, I don't remember exactly how many people, but it was um, absolutely huge. And they they actually, they took the soundboard recording as well as some audience recordings and stuff. They put it all together into an official release called Live at Wembley Stadium. And um, it's sort of like a tour de force of Queen. And I think a lot of Queen fans are very proud of this performance. So... Um, they had most of their work behind them at this point by 1986. They still had a few albums, but you'll get a lot of the hits. Yeah. We Are the Champions, Hammer to Fall, Bohemian Rhapsody, of course, yeah. Love of My Life, Brighton Rock, you know, um, another one bites the dust under pressure. So yeah, all the big ones. All the big ones. So as a, I would say I'm a Queen fan, but I'm, I, I, I wouldn't be able to name more than five albums, and that's. You know, not many considering one of them's called Queen and one of them's <laughs> called Queen 2. So, um, yeah, I just think this is just something that I think people should listen to. And this is even before I, I even listen to it. I just, I'm just looking at what's the biggest stadium, what's one of the biggest bands of um, the 70s and 80s, yeah. and what's, um, what might be one of their best performances. So, um, um, I, I'm coming in with very high expectations. So, yeah. How how familiar are you guys with Queen? Have you listened to a song, an album, or you know the whole discography? I, I can't say I'm too familiar. Like, I know the best of, and I know the Night of the Opera album, and I know it very well. Like, I think it's an amazing album. But I okay. don't know any others. Yeah, I, I'm not too familiar with them. And like, like you said, a concert uh, is, is such a different experience from uh, uh, just a regular album. And they're supposed to be awesome performers. Like, this, I think it's going to be, I don't know, this huge experience. I think I'm really expecting this one. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think ever since I've seen um, Bohemian Rhapsody, I want to have another Queen session, like a, a long one, and, and kind of dive into it. I think I, I just mentioned it to the guys before we started recording. I think Freddie Mercury was the best singer ever lived. He's amazing, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm psyched. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So, thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. 
And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye-bye. Welcome to Geek Exploration, the podcast. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. Do you like time travel? Movies? Video games? Comics? Sci-fi? Cartoons? Or how about action figures? Well, so do we. Every episode, we pick a topic from the geekosphere and have a little chat about it. So if you've been waiting for a groundbreaking podcast that does all of this and more, you might have what it takes to be a Geek Explorer. Come join us every other Tuesday for a fresh installment of Geek Exploration, the podcast. You can find us at geeksplorationpodcast.com or any reputable podcatcher likely a few unreputable ones.